If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 4. We're going to talk about Jesus' authority and compassion. How many of you know someone who commands authority? When they step into the room, everybody pays attention. Right, Terry? You do that when Carol walks in the room, right? All right. When they speak, everybody listens, right? When they have an opinion, it's as though their opinion was the most important opinion in the room, not because they thought so, but because you did. Do you know anyone who commands authority? Years ago, back in the 1970s, there was a commercial for this brokerage firm called E.F. Hutton. Anybody remember that commercial? Got a few old people in the room. (laughs) And people would gather, like uh, a couple of the guys were in the park taking a walk or a jog or a bicycle ride, and they'd stop. And one of them asked his friend, said, uh, do you have some good financial advice for this? And the other guy would say, well, my broker is E.F. Hutton. And E.F. Hutton says, and as soon as he would say that, every person with an earshot in the park, whether walking a dog or riding a bike or jogging along the path, they'd all stop because they wanted to know what E.F. Hutton had to say. They had other commercials where people would be on an airplane and they're on this commercial airline together and the same thing would come up. And the other guy who was asked the question would say, well, my broker's E.F. Hutton. And E.F. Hutton says, and everyone on the airline would stop because they wanted to know. They even did it in an elementary classroom. A little girl was quoting her ABCs. And she'd say, A, B, C, D, E, F. And she'd stop and say, E, F. E, F, Hutton. (laughs) And everyone in the classroom would stop and lean forward because they wanted to hear what E, F, Hutton had to say. I don't know about you, but I've never had that problem. I've never been one where everybody stopped because they wanted to hear what I had to say. Some people who command authority are pretty unapproachable. Yes, people listen to what they have to say. Yes, people hang on their opinion as though it were gospel in a sense. But if you try to approach them and talk to them about something, they don't have time for you. What I love about Jesus is he was a man who commanded authority like no one else. He he even spoke to the wind and said, peace, be still. And it was. But Jesus was also very approachable. Had a incredible compassion for people. And Jesus is the clearest picture of God that we have. In fact, one day, Jesus was sharing with his disciples. And one of the disciples by the name of Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. And Jesus says to Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Today, as we continue our study of the Gospel of Luke and talk about Jesus, friend of sinners, we're going to look at both the authority and the compassion of Jesus Christ.
Luke chapter 4, verse 31 begins like this. Then he, that's Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee. Capernaum was a small, rather obscure little town, a fishing village with maybe 1,500 residents living in the city limits. It was about 30 miles north or from Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, located on the Sea of Galilee. You might be able to see it up there near the top of that map by Galilee, if your eyes are really good. Peter and Andrew, James and John, all lived in Capernaum. So did Matthew, the tax collector, who had also become one of the original 12 disciples of Christ. Think about it. Five out of 12 Jesus' disciples came from a little bitty town called Capernaum. You never know what God is going to do, and you never know who God is going to use. How many of you grew up in a town of less than 5,000 people in attendance uh, living there? Okay. See, God used some people from small towns, right? You never know what God is going to do and who God is going to use. This afternoon, some of us are going to be going out into the neighborhood directly behind the sanctuary here. We're going to be knocking on doors and ringing doorbells. And some of you may be thinking, I don't know about that. People are going to think I'm weird. People might slam a door in my face. People might do this. People might do that. And that is all possible, okay? But somebody that you knock on a door for, somebody who you ring a doorbell at their door, somebody's life might be changed for eternity because you took the time and you took the care to reach out to people who were around you. So if you can't come, be praying that God's going to do something incredible as we go out and share. Verse 31 continues. And on the Sabbath, Jesus taught the people. The Sabbath, which is our Saturday, was the day of Jewish worship. This would be the most normal time for Jesus to be teaching. So here's Jesus on the Sabbath teaching the people. And verse 32 says, they were amazed at his teaching. When Jesus taught, people were amazed. They were in awe. Say the word awe with me. Awe. Yeah, it's good. It wasn't like awe. It was like awe. This is amazing, right? They were amazed. Luke tells us it was because Jesus had an incredible authority. When Jesus spoke, people listened. People hung on every word. But why? Some say it was because he didn't quote from other authorities like the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Jesus didn't have to cite other authorities. After all, Jesus was the authority, right? Others say it's because Jesus didn't just teach. He had the power to heal and the authority to cast out demons. Jesus had an ability to back up his words with miraculous action. Now, all that's true. But I think there's another important reason, and the reason is this. Jesus had an incredible anointing of the Holy Spirit. And there was something about the anointing of the Holy Spirit that was on Jesus that when he spoke, people listened. It was incredible the way that Jesus would speak to people, and they would hang on every word. And they had never heard anybody who was anointed by God like Jesus Christ. And people were in awe. So here's Jesus teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And in verse 33, we read, in the Sabbath, or in the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon an impure spirit, he cried out the top of his voice, go away. 
What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Here's a demon from hell who has possessed a man, and the demon is speaking through this man's voice, and he says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Notice that the demons, the demons knew who Jesus was. Luke makes it clear that this was an evil spirit, yet this evil spirit calls Jesus the Holy One of God. He knows who Jesus is. Some say that demons may have called Jesus by name due to an occult belief that the precise use of a person's name gave certain control over him. If that's true, were they in for a rude awakening? Perhaps more likely was that these demons were motivated by fear. They knew Jesus would one day execute their final judgment, and they feared that day had now arrived. So the demon declared, Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Here is this demon proclaiming who Jesus was, and Jesus tells him to shut up. Why? It was a demon. It's probably disrespectful and annoying. That's one possibility. And another, even more likely one, is this. The people of Jesus, they had a misconception. They were looking for an earthly political Messiah who would deliver them from the nation of Rome, who would overthrow the Roman government and put them in charge. But Jesus did not come to be that kind of a Messiah. Jesus came to be a Messiah who would change the hearts of men and the hearts of women and the hearts of children. And he's still doing that today, is he not? Jesus didn't want any misconception about who he came to be. Verse 35, be quiet, Jesus said to the demon sternly, come out of him. This was an act of authority and power in which Jesus controlled and judged the demon. Verse 35, then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. The demon tried to have at least one final word, but Jesus would have none of it. He doesn't let the demon injure the man he had possessed at all. Verse 36 tells us that all the people were amazed. Now, the Bible does not say they all had a change of heart. I seriously doubt that they did. But let me remind you, God's goal is not simply to impress you. God is not looking for admirers. He is looking for followers. Luke 9, 23 says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Romans 12, 1 and 2, the apostle Paul said, I urge you, I plead with you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living, say the word living for me, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not let this world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed. Say transform with me. Transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God's will for you is not for you to leave church today and say, wow, that music was great. Now let's go out and party. It wasn't to say, you know what? I think I can hear that sermon again. It wasn't so hot, but maybe it'll do better next time. And then go out and live how you want to. No, God's 
goal for you is to revolutionize your life by the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants to change you from the inside out that you might be his instruments for his glory. Verse 36 continues, followed by verse 37. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are with authority and power. He gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding region. This fame would continue growing. A greater audience is described in Luke chapter 5, which would be surpassed by Luke chapter 6 and reaches climax in chapter 7. Jesus was a man of great authority. Think about it. Jesus could speak to the winds and the waves and say, peace be still, and they would immediately. I don't know about you, but I don't have that kind of power. Jesus could speak to demons and say, get out of that man, and it got out immediately without injuring him. Jesus could speak to the blind and say, you receive your sight, and they did right then on the spot could speak to the lame and say, get up and walk, and they could get up and walk. Jesus had authority like no one else, and he still does. In fact, in the Great Commission, you remember what Jesus said? He said, some authority has been given to me. Is that what he said? He said, a whole lot of authority has been given to me. Is that what he said? No, he said, he said say it with me. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus is a man of great authority. He was God. Fully God, yet fully man in human flesh. He was also a man of great compassion. Go to verse 38. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. That's Simon Peter, the often loud and boisterous disciple. And now Simon Peter's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever and left her. Immediately she was healed. Everywhere Jesus went, crowds would follow. Yet Jesus took time for the individual. Here he takes time for Simon Peter's mother-in-law. On countless other occasions, he would heal the blind and the lame. He would even heal people who were lepers. And lepers in Jesus' day were people, whenever you got anywhere near them, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean. In other words, stay away from me. You don't want to get what I got, okay? Some of you are like, stay away from church in the wintertime because I don't want to get what those people got there, okay? They might get a germ or something. Jesus is like, come on, lepers. I'm healing you today. Wasn't it amazing what Jesus, he had authority and he had compassion. He cared about people. He didn't have to have an audience from the rich and famous. He cared about people that nobody else gave a rip about. He cared about prostitutes and tax collectors and notorious sinners of his day. And he took time for people. There was a time when these children came to Jesus and they wanted to be near him, as so many other people did. And uh, the disciples said, get these kids away from Jesus. He doesn't have time for them. Remember what Jesus said? He says, suffer the little children to come unto me. 
For such is the kingdom of heaven. I got time for these kids. You guys may not, but I do. These are a priority for me. There was another time when Jesus was going to heal a man's daughter who is about to die. And while he is on his way to heal this girl, the crowd is pressing in around him. Probably hundreds of people crowded in against him. And one woman says to herself, if I could just reach out and touch the hem of his garment, I know that I can be made well. And so she did. And she was healed. And Jesus stopped. Remember, he's got a priority appointment. There's a girl that's about to die. I got to get there. But he stops. He says, who touched me? And the disciples said, how can you tell one person touching you when there's so many around you? And Jesus said, I felt God's healing power come out of me. I'm going to stop and take time because I'm going to talk to this woman. He took time for people. And then he goes, and the girl already died. He says, well, I can handle that. I'll just raise her from the dead. Amen? No problem for Jesus. One time, Jesus is he often was surrounded by the crowd. And there was a guy by the name of Zacchaeus. Maybe I here remember Zacchaeus. Okay, he's a little short guy. Got any vertically challenged people in the room? I'm not far behind, okay? I understand. Some of you sitting behind somebody right now is like, okay, I can't see. Right. Zacchaeus is kind of like, he was in the crowd. And Jesus had come to town, and Zacchaeus is a little short guy. He's also a notorious tax collector. He had gotten rich off of ripping people off and putting extra money that he collected for taxes in his own pocket. People couldn't stand Zacchaeus. And so when Zacchaeus gets in the crowd, they're probably pushing him and shoving him and telling him to get out of the way. So you know what Zacchaeus does? He climbs up in a sycamore tree. For the Lord, he wanted to see. Anybody remember singing that song as a kid? What's the next part? And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, say it with me, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today, right? Jesus took time for people. Because Jesus was a man of great compassion. He never got too busy to take time for people who were around him. Now, some of you sitting here today may be thinking, God doesn't have time for me. Let me tell you something. He's got all the time in the world for you. Why? Because he loves you. More than you can ever begin to understand what love is, God loves you. You may think, well, I'm one of billions of people on this planet. Does God even know that I exist? Yes, he does know that you exist, and he cares about you. See, one time Jesus said, not even a sparrow falls to the ground without my heavenly Father noticing. And how much more, Jesus continues, does our Father care about you? He loves you. In fact, he loves you so much. that I shared this a little earlier. 
He was willing to come to this earth and die on the cross for your sin. He didn't just die for all the good people. He died for you. He died for me. And for every single person who will place their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you can know forgiveness today. You can know hope. You can know life. It doesn't matter how great your sin may be. It doesn't matter what your issue may be. It doesn't matter what your problem may be. It doesn't matter how mad you've blown it in the past. It doesn't matter how you feel about God today. If you will come to God and say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I give my life to you. He will save you right here and right now before you ever leave this room today. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his love for you in that while you were yet a sinner, Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died on the cross for your sin. He didn't weigh, say, hey, I think you need to go to church a couple of hundred times and then we can talk. He didn't say, well, you know what? If you start reading the Bible a little more often, we'll talk about this salvation thing. He doesn't say, you know, you got some sin issues in your life. You get that cleaned up and see if we can have a relationship there. No, Jesus said, I see you. I love you. I died for you. I want to have a relationship with you that will change your life for eternity. He's compassionate. More than we could ever begin to understand. He loves you so much he came to this earth and he died for your sin. Well, after Jesus healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law, Luke tells us that she got up immediately and began to serve them. Listen, when we experience the healing grace of Jesus Christ, we're going to want to serve others as well. Don't tell me that you're in love with Jesus and you don't have time for people. Don't tell me that you love Jesus and you don't have a servant's heart. You're like Mr. Boss or Miss Bossy. If you got that kind of attitude, you better check out your relationship with Christ because that's not how Christ was. He's called us to be servants as well. Verse 40 says, at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses. These people were good Jews. The ceremonial law said Jesus could not carry, or Jews could not carry a burden or travel more than two-thirds of a mile on the Sabbath. The Jewish Sabbath ended at sundown on Saturday night. So... As soon as sundown hit, they started carrying their sick family and friends to Jesus. The idea here is that while the sun was still setting, there was an eagerness for people to get their loved ones to Jesus ASAP, as soon as possible. They're trying to be good Jews. They're trying to wait until the sun gets down because I'm not supposed to go and walk too far or do any work until the sun goes down. But as soon as that sun starts to hit, boom, I'm going because as soon as sundown's here, I'm going to get my family, I'm going to get my friends, I'm going to get my loved ones to Jesus. Question, how eager are you to get people to Jesus? This afternoon we have an opportunity to go out and share Jesus Christ and his love in a non-threatening way, to knock on some doors, to ring some doorbells, and take prayer requests from people. But it's not just this afternoon. There's all kinds of opportunities that you're going to have. You'll have an opportunity when you go to work next week. You'll have an opportunity when you go to school next week. You'll have an opportunity in other places, in other people, at other times. But how eager are you to get people to Jesus Christ? you have people you're praying for that they might know Christ as Savior and Lord? Luke tells us that at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. 
Jesus was probably tired as people kept coming and coming and coming and coming and coming. How many of you ever got tired? But you know what Jesus did? He kept healing and healing and healing and healing and healing people who came to him. Verse 41, we're almost done. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. Here's those stinking demons again, but Jesus cast them out. People might see Jesus as simply another man, but the forces of evil knew who Jesus was. This was the Christ, the Messiah, the only begotten Son of God. Verse 42, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. There's a danger when you're a person of great compassion. You want to help people. And people keep coming to you or they keep calling you or stopping by your office. And you just got to take time for people because you care about people. Let me be honest. Some of you don't have that problem. Some of you are like, I ain't got time for these people. I don't have time for those people. Nobody get my cell phone number unless they're family and friends. Okay, just leave me alone. You need to reach out a little more, okay? <laughs> we need to be caring for people. I don't care who they are. I don't care how rich, how poor, what the color of their skin. Man, we care about people. Look at the sign there. We love God and we love people, amen? That's what we do here at Northside, all right? Got to love people. But whoever you are, you've also got to take time to be alone with God. Because if you're too busy for anything else or anyone else, and you don't have time for God, you're too busy. You keep God in the center of your life. He is the hub of your life. He's the focus of your life. He is the coconut in a coconut cream pie. How many of you have ever had coconut cream pie? A lot of people are like, hey, can I just have a little slice? I'm like, hey, give me the whole pie, right? It's good stuff, right? Jesus doesn't want you to say, hey, can I just have a little slice of God in my life? He wants to be the coconut cream filling in the coconut pie. He wants to be your all in all, not just a little slice of your life. He wants to be your life. Well, this fall, we're going to do a study called Experiencing God. How many of you ever heard of that study? Some of you have done it before. What it is is an encouragement and challenge for us to experience God in a deeper way than perhaps we're doing now. And I encourage you, I challenge you to be part of that. We're going to do a lot of home groups. We'll probably have some groups here at the church. People want to do that. But we're going to seek the face of God. Well, don't wait till this fall. Like, well, I'll seek God in August when you start. No, start today, okay? Seek the face of God. Jesus had time to be alone with God. He had time to be with people. And he didn't limit himself to one town. This afternoon, we're going to go to this neighborhood right behind the church. Everybody turn around and look. Everybody turn around and look out the window. They're not staring at you in the back row, Atlanta. All right. We're going to go out there, okay? It's not too late. If you want to go, we got some extra food, okay? But that's not the only thing we're going to do. We're going to go to other neighborhoods in our community. A few weeks ago, we had a group that went to Letcher, Kentucky. How many of you ever heard of Letcher? All right. Some of you have been there, right? Way out there in the boonies, right? This summer, we got a group going to Pittsburgh. Also got a group going to Ireland. But you don't have to wait for a mission trip. You don't have to wait for a church-wide outreach event. Every day you have an opportunity to be out there in the world. Last week I went to a Winter Guard International competition. 
They're flipping flags and rifles and sabers and all this stuff. Believe me, there's not a whole lot of solid believers doing that stuff. There's an opportunity to be out there and be a witness in the world. Okay? Uh, Later on this summer, we've got other people going to other places, as I mentioned. Last week, we had some of our teens go to Teen Pack. Anybody here been heard Teen Pack, been Teen Pack? It's an opportunity to, to learn more about how to do government from a Christian perspective. And some of our youth are getting ready to graduate from high school or from college. And they're going to have an opportunity to be out there in the world. And some of you work jobs. Or you're around people. Maybe even your own family. Who don't know what it means to know Christ. And you have an opportunity by the grace of God to reach out to them with the love of Jesus Christ. And the grace of Jesus Christ. And the truth of Jesus Christ. Because people need the Lord. Verse 42 continues. The people were looking for Jesus. When they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also. Because that is why I was sent. Jesus didn't just say, it'd probably be a good idea if I go proclaim the good news of God. Jesus said, I must go and share the message of the kingdom of God. This was a divine compulsion. We've got to be like Jesus. We've got to reach out to our world. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. It starts right here in our own community and extends out to the world. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, just tell people they need a Savior and they can be forgiven and all will be good. That's true. That's absolutely true. But he also says he's preaching the kingdom of God. You know what the kingdom of God is? That is the rule and the reign of God. He wants to rule and reign in your life right here and right now. If you've not given your life to Christ as Savior and Lord, today is your day. And if you have, but you're kind of drifting away and doing your own thing, today's your day to return. Follow Jesus Christ with all of your heart, with all of your life, with all your soul. He loves you. And he wants to have a relationship with you that changes your life and changes your world for his glory. Would you pray with me?